welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we conclude the book of Titus, Paul's epistle to the pastor Titus, serving on the island of Crete. Yesterday, chapter 2, Paul was fairly blunt, straightforward, and hit us with some things that our ears don't want to hear. Will Titus 3 be any easier? Here's the text. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. So, easier than yesterday? Yes and no. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. The scriptures do apply that to anyone who gives authority. God gives authority over us in our lives. And that's a challenge to our sinful nature. To honor, to obey those who are in positions over us. Rulers. So you're governing authorities. Romans 13 speaks of this. It's not governments, it's the people within the government that God has authorized to do the work that they've been given to do. As far as they are not instructing us to disobey God, we are to honor them. We're never told to love them, not like as a government We're told to love all of our neighbors, but we're told to honor them. Authorities can, it starts with parents, but it can also include teachers, bosses, so forth. The spiritual head of your church, oftentimes seen as the pastor. LCMS doesn't have necessarily a polity that's set up that way. The elders of the congregation... The voters' assembly of the congregation typically ends up being the chief authority. 
after God himself. Be obedient refers back to the submission to rulers and authorities. Be ready for every good work. It's interesting to have put that right after obeying your authorities. It could be your authorities give you good works to do. But it could also be here, what we saw back in verse 10 yesterday, the idea that as as a slave is being commanded by his master to do something, that he does it well in good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So as the government or any other authority is telling us to do this, that, or the other thing, that as we go about it, obeying them, humbly, simply loving our neighbors, however we can, that we're going to have the opportunity to do good works that even the authorities will see us do, and that maybe, perhaps, we'll have the ability to share Christ with them at some point. could be that it takes years of constant love and consistency. Speak evil of no one. That's one we struggle with. No one. Christ died for all. The people here, no matter how much they may seem your enemy today, our enemy is the devil. The people around us, they're hoodwinked. But Christ loves them, as should we, in the hopes that, again, they might hear that gospel. Avoid quarreling. This is probably useless arguments. Make a social media today, and how many arguments are had there. When was the last time you saw somebody won over by an argument on social media? Just avoid them. Avoid those arguments. Be gentle. So a certain way of of acting towards one another, a calmness. Um, Again, love comes to mind with the word gentle. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Courtesy is kind of dead within our culture that we live in. Toward all people, even those you don't like, even those that don't look like you do, act like you do. Why? For, gar in the Greek, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to very, uh, just a long list. Here are the things that we once were. So this is how we should be. This is what we were. Foolish. It's the opposite of wise. It's the opposite of faith oftentimes in the scriptures. We were disobedient. Now we've been called to be obedient. We were led astray by many things, primarily our own passions. That's going to be the next phrase, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Family conversation, how did we get out of being slaves? How did we get out of this slavery to our own passions? That's what Christ has done. That Jesus Christ comes into this world, takes on flesh for the sake of setting us free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And the Son has set you free by his blood on the cross, by his death for you. But this is what I was getting at with the first opening section of the entire letter. As Paul said, Paul, a servant of God 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ, or more accurately, Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes that we're never our own. Right? Think of other language from elsewhere in Scripture. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. That we are God's own possession. Shows up a couple of times. You're a slave to something. There's always a master. The question is, who is the master? Christ did not set us free necessarily from worldly slavery, like the idea of one man possessing another. He set us free from our slavery to sin, death, and the devil. And in that freedom, we then are slaves of Christ. We're not free today to do whatever it is that we want to do. That's not Christian. Right? I mean, my sinful nature still tells me to do foolish things. And as, as a Christian, I have to pray to the Lord to strengthen my faith, to help me to resist such temptations, to fight against it. We are called for a purpose. We are set apart to be different from the world, not just to live in the world and enjoy all the things the world enjoys. It's not that we can't enjoy things, but we're to love our neighbor. We're to love God. So no longer pass your days in malice and envy, as we once did. So hating one another and and always wanting something that someone else has. Be content. That's not on the list, but fits in with that. We were once hated by others and hating one another. Now, he doesn't say this, but now we're hated by others, but loved by one another. That's the the distinction I see as I read those words. Before you were in Christ, the world hated you, and we hated each other. Because that's the sinful nature. The sinful nature only looks out for itself. But now, now that you are in Christ, well, the world still hates you, just as Jesus promised that it would in John's gospel. Because you are not of the world, you are of him, and the world hated him. But we don't hate each other as the body of Christ. You have more family now than you did before. Significantly more family now. Because every Christian in the world even if you can't understand them, even if they don't speak the same language, they are your very own body because the two of you together are in Christ. The three of us together are in Christ. I don't know how strong the number actually is these days. It's hard to know. But I do think it's fairly safe to say a billion Christians in the world. And the last stat I heard was roughly 25% of the world's population but that number has been so quickly dropping in the United States, it's the question of, well, okay, how much of the two billion actually do trust in Christ? How many of them is just a label that they still hold to? I mean, we've been losing 1% a year over the last 15 years in the United States, people who claim to be Christians. But 
But, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Jesus, when he came in his goodness, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, no, so not according to our own merit. Jesus didn't pick you and save you. He didn't pick me and save me because we're great, because we've earned it, but according to his own mercy. Jesus saved us because he's merciful. Jesus saved us because he created us and he doesn't want to see us destroyed. He gave his life for us because he loves us. Not because we're worthy of that love, but because he's chosen to give it. Salvation is much more about who he is than what we've done. He has saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is another baptism verse right here, that God has washed us regenerated us. It's an actual washing in baptism as the water is applied to you. That's what the word baptize in Greek means, is to wash. So you want to wash your hands? Baptize your hands. You want to wash your couch? I think it is that it shows up once in one of the gospel texts. You baptize your couch. To baptize is to apply water to something to cleanse it. And so God has applied water to us to cleanse us, to regenerate us by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that if he did not depart from them, the Holy Spirit would not come, but that it was better for us that the Holy Spirit come, so he departed, that he may send him. That being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we have. Justified, so made just, made righteous, not by our own work, but by his grace, gift, freely given to us. We are now heirs. Reminds me of the question Jesus got asked by the, the lawyer in Matthew 22 and in Luke chapter, I believe it was 10. Teacher, what must I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You don't do anything to inherit something. You inherit something because of whose you are. And we are Christ. It's that slave possession kind of thing again. We belong to God the Father. We're his. We are not our own. This is more of a family statement in verse 7, though. The idea that we are heirs. Slaves aren't heirs. Sons are. We are children of God. Again, through baptism, adopted into the family. The saying is trustworthy. It's a statement that shows up a few times in the New Testament, a couple of times in the book of Revelation that I can recall. I want you to insist on these things. So, strengthening Titus for his preaching task as pastor in Crete. That those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And this is the other family conversation point here. Are we careful today to devote ourselves to good works? Are we devoted in our lives to doing good works? Are we, are we looking for good works to do every day? And that's a real law 
cutting passage for us. Because most of the time, we're giving into our sinful nature. We're looking for how do I please myself? How do I take care of myself? How do I feed myself? How do I clothe myself? How do I take care of myself? We're not looking for how do I do good works to love my neighbor? How do I feed my neighbor today? How do I clothe my neighbor today? How do I take care of my neighbor today? We're, we're backwards thinking. We're still curved inward on ourselves. It's the daily wrestling. And this is the reason why Luther told us to daily remember our baptisms, to daily drown the old Adam that is within us, because he's always popping up his head. It's that game of whack-a-mole, uh, just an ugly, ugly game with our sinful nature, constantly trying to, to resurface and tempt us to think only of me, myself, and I, and that's the opposite of who God has called us to be. We are not slaves to our various passions and pleasures anymore. We've been set free from that to be slaves to Christ, to do the good works that he has created beforehand that we might walk in them. This is a challenge of which we must all daily repent. These things are excellent and profitable for people to do these things, to, to live out such a life of gentleness, kindness, obedience, speaking no evil, sharing Christ. This benefits the world. It benefits your neighbor. Verse 9 is a little harder to know what exactly Paul might be referring to. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. So quarrels about the law would be you know, whether or not we have to keep the Sabbath. The, the Judaizers uh, bringing those ideas back in. Dissensions probably fits that too. Foolish controversies, arguing over things that don't matter. Nobody does that. Nobody, right? We do that one all the time. And genealogies. That's probably the hardest one of the four. Most commentaries that I skimmed over in this section were talking about how we we don't really know enough about the history around this time to say for sure what it is Paul's referring to here. Uh, the best argument that I saw and found was that the Jewish people, so the Judaizers, were continuing oral tradition of speaking about the, the family trees from the Old Testament. Not that those trees are wrong, they, they're to point you to Christ, but that they kept them going past Jesus to boast and brag about position and to jostle over power in the church. And that's not what they're for. Those were to point you to Christ again. That's the purpose of them. To show you God's creation. And now there is no man greater than another. There is no power struggle in the church. We are all called. We're all given different gifts. And we use those different gifts to serve each other. Your pastor is not greater than you. He's not closer to God than you are. I, I chuckle at this one sometimes, but your pastor cannot better pray to God than you can. Like oftentimes pastors are asked by their people, like, you're closer to God, please pray about this for me. And he'd be happy to pray for you, but God will hear your prayer just as well as he hears your pastors. We're, we're, not, we're not a hierarchy in that sense. It's not that hierarchy is bad. There's hierarchy within the Trinity, but we're all saved by Christ. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
So these arguments among the Jews and the Christians, unprofitable. I would again point you to social media arguments here, as I've already done in the show today. Uh, Unprofitable. Find a better use for your time. Person who stirs up division. Here's a blunt one. After warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him. He's self-condemned. This is stirring up division probably in the sense of verse 9. This is not somebody who comes in, because again, look what Paul is commanding Titus to do in the book. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 16 of chapter 1. The ones who profess to know God, they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Chapter 2, verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Today... When we talk about dividing the church, people look at rebuke and they say, well, you're dividing the church by by saying that I'm teaching something false. That's not what Paul's arguing about here. Paul is talking about the one who stirs up trouble in the church, who divides the church based on these things in verse 9, these unprofitable, worthless things. If If we're talking about sound doctrine, that's not dividing the church. False teachers must be found out and they must be removed from the church so that they don't destroy the faith of the faithful. As must such a person who stirs up controversy over other things. If you've got arguments going on in your church about things that are not related to Jesus and our faith in Jesus, that's what Paul's talking about. All right, final greetings. Again, very blunt. Artemis, Tychicus, Paul's going to send a Crete so that Titus can leave uh, and come and visit Paul. Just as I mentioned at the start of the letter in chapter 1, we don't have note in the New Testament of Paul going to Crete. We didn't see that on his missionary journeys. We don't have note of him going to Nicopolis either. Uh, Nicopolis is in Achaia, the same territory that you would find the city of Corinth in, except for on the opposite side. So Corinth is near the Aegean Sea, on the eastern side of Achaia. Nicopolis is on the western side, over by the Sea of Adria. And we just we take it at his word here. Paul says that he was going to go there. He wants Titus to meet him in the city of Nicopolis. We don't know much about Zenus the lawyer, but he's, he's encouraging Titus to send these two men on their way to be faithful in serving the Lord and to provide for them, send them with provisions, that they lack nothing. Devote to good work has been a major theme of the book. Verse 15 is why I describe this as fairly blunt. All who are with me send greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. It's a rushed closing. There's not a list of this guy, this guy, and this guy greet you. Um, please greet this person or this person for me. Um, I would like my my robes or my, my scrolls. Um, there's none of that kind of thing that Paul often includes in his letters. And then just the very short, grace be with you all. Grace, that is the gifts of God. So it's a very short blessing to close out this letter. May the peace of Christ be with you.